responds. She responds not 100% accurate. She begins to explain what she thinks or, uh, God said. And let's read it here. She added actually to what God said not to do. Verse number two. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it. What did she add here? She added this, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad principle not to touch the, uh, the fruit of the tree that God said don't eat, but God didn't say don't touch it, okay? So there's a difference there. Um, and so she added to God's words, and then uh, she said, lest ye die. Now, that's accurate. God said, if you eat it, ye shall surely die. Verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Again, we see Satan questioning, casting doubt upon God's word. And I want to say, Satan's tactics haven't changed today. Satan wants you to doubt God's word. Satan wants me to question God's word. What God has clearly specified in his word, he wants me to have doubts about it. He wants me to question it. He wants me to add to it. He wants me to try it. Satan wants me to rationalize it away as not being the truth of God's word. And our society has drifted so far because of the doubting and the questioning of God's word. And it started, it all started here. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. And then uh, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and uh, ye shall be as gods. How many, I don't want to, I almost, almost asked that wrong. Now, it would be very tempting to want to have knowledge like a god, wouldn't it? And this is how Satan is tempting uh, with this fruit, uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, God knows that if you eat of it, you're going to be like, like God's little G's, little, little, little gods and, and uh, knowing good and evil. Verse number six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that the tree was good for food and that it was, uh, I got ahead of myself, pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. Notice the temptation. Notice the, the beauty of it. Notice that she said it looked good to be for food, but God said it's not good for food. Don't eat it. It was tempting. She was tempted by her flesh. She was tempted by uh, the, the thoughts of what she could be, how it could maybe promote her, make her smarter. And he did eat and gave, let's see, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day and Adam with his wife uh, and hid, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Sin, sin brings shame uh, when we give into it, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Notice how God asked the question. Of course, God already knew that he'd eaten of the, of the tree. He, and uh, he said, the woman, we see the blame game uh, start here. The woman that thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. And so he's, the blame game gets even further. He did it. She did it. He did it. And um, what is this that thou hast done? The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, uh, thou art cursed above all the cattle. I'm not going to read the rest here, but we're going to pray and get right into it. After this, the curse happens, and we're going to get into the curse here of the consequences of the wrong choice uh, that was made. Let's pray. Father, I need you this morning. God, I pray that you would arrest our attention. I pray that we'd be solely focused on your word. I pray that you'd speak to, to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd make spirit-filled listeners. God, I, I need you, and I pray that you'd help me to be a spirit-filled preacher. 
Fill my cup. Help me to overflow uh, with your Holy Spirit power. And uh, may you accomplish your work, your will in the hearts of your people uh, today. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. We're going to enter into a study on uh, choices and the importance of making wise and biblical choices on a day-to-day basis. We're going to see different examples uh, from God's Word um, over the next uh, couple of weeks here. But I want to start off by saying this. Every day of our lives, we are presented uh, with choices that we can make. Uh, We can choose to live for God or we can choose to live for self. Uh, which ultimately is living for the devil. The Bible says uh, uh, the enemy of this world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so when we give into ourselves, our flesh, ultimately we are giving into uh, the influence of the devil. But I want to give you several areas where we make uh, choices in life. Number one, we make spiritual choices. I think of salvation, the very most important decision, the very most important choice that could be made in a person's life is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by receiving him as personal savior. Now the devil doesn't want you to make that choice, but God does. We make spiritual choices in salvation. We make spiritual choices, whether we're going to surrender to serve and uh, live for God, or are we going to choose uh, the way of the world, the flesh, and the devil? And uh, we can choose to walk in the power of the Spirit of God is another very important choice that we ought to decide on a daily basis. Every day I want to wake up saying, God, I need you. Help me to put on the, your armor. Help me to stand against the wiles of the devil. Help me to live for you, God, because you are who and what matters in this world, on this earth. Number, number next, we make financial choices. How many made a financial choice today? They had the opportunity this morning to make a financial uh, choice and um, and in different capacities. But we make uh, financial choices to spend or not to spend, to save or who, needs, who, need, who would admit that they need, they need to work on their saving choice. Uh, I, w- I would admit I, I want to do that. I want to be a better saver, not a better, not a better well, I don't know. Not a, I want to spend for the good things, of, of course. But uh, we, we can choose to save. We can choose to spend. We're talking about uh, financial choices. We can choose to budget. And we can then, we can choose to honor uh, God or not. Number next, we can make relationship choices. Who will I associate with? Who will I allow to influence me? Or who will I yoke up with? And um, I uh, saw a recent, read a recent poll. The poll says this. uh, It is reported that in the United States, there one third of all children are being raised without a father. Why? Because there was choices that were made on both both parties, by the way. And unfortunately and sadly, uh, that is uh, the society that we live in uh, today. Number next, we make political choices. And let me say this, our political choices often go hand in hand with our moral choices. Amen? Since uh, the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, raise your hand if you understand what the decision of Roe versus Wade is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I ask that because I don't know that all of our young people understand. But in 1973, a Roe v. Wade was a court case that decided, that decided, that said that it, it is okay uh, for uh, uh, to murder unborn children. Roe versus Wade is the case that allows that to happen in the United States today. Now, of course, we don't believe that is, that is good. We believe that is contrary uh, to what God would have. And so I want you to understand that uh, we make political choices. And when we vote, we ought to, we ought to vote uh, biblically and scripturally principled uh, with our choices and our decisions toward those political uh, figures and representatives. That case was allowed to happen largely because of a fleshly, immoral choice or choices that were made. I uh, did a little studying and research. I knew this about uh, A.C. Green. I was looking for some public figures that 
uh, that are upstanding Christians, I guess, or understand the responsibility that they have as Christian athletes. And I think of one of them being Tim Tebow. It's my understanding that Tim Tebow, a football player, he prayed for the played for the Broncos for some time, for a little bit, not, not, not as long as I wish he'd have played, but, but uh, Tim Tebow was an upstanding man, an outspoken Christian, and he had vowed uh, to be pure till his wedding day, until he's married. And he, I, I don't like saying that because I believe he's committed to be pure even after he got married. Does that make sense? So uh, he's a committed man. I believe he recently got married. I don't know how long ago, but another man, that I, uh, that I grew up kind of watching was an L.A. Laker. His name was A.C. Green. How many know who A.C. Green is? Nobody. Brother Dave, you don't know who A.C. Green is? Are you serious? Brother Bolton? A.C. Green played, played for the Los Angeles Lakers um, guard. Uh, he played for the Lakers, but he also, I believe he played for the Suns. He played for the Heat for some time. But A.C. Green was an outspoken, he was a, He's a born-again Christian from uh, Portland, uh, Oregon area, and uh, was a good player. I'm surprised that uh, more haven't heard about him. Uh, he's one of my favorites, but specifically with his testimony, he had a testimony. He played for 16 years in the NBA, and uh, he was outspoken. He played during the time of Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Byron Scott, back when, back when I liked the Lakers. Uh, but then there was immorality that took place in the team with one of the players in particular and got HIV, AIDS, and, and uh, man, I was, I was really disappointed. I, I know people make mistakes. and God judged him, and, and I believe he was repentant for the most part, Magic Johnson, that is. But A.C. Green was an outspoken Christian, and he, people knew that he had vowed uh, to be uh, pure until uh, that, he, that he had vowed to be, what is it, uh, What's the term I'm looking for? Celibate, yeah. Uh, abstain. Uh, abstain uh, and, and be pure till his wedding day. Well, he's in the, he was in the NBA for 16 years. During that time, he had fellow players that would, that would try to tempt him and to break that vow, break that decision uh, that he had made for the Lord. And I believe it was in 2002 that he married the wife that he has to this day. And, and uh, she was also pure uh, upon uh, getting married. And, and uh, just, a, just a powerful testimony, powerful testimony for the cause of Christ. He's done a lot of good with different organizations in the L.A. area, but also the Phoenix area is my understanding. Uh, but A.C. Green, upon, upon uh, being uh, determined to stand in this area of purity... For God, by the way, he made this statement. He made this statement. He said, I've been given the power of a choice. I have the power to make a choice. Once I make a choice, it has power over me. He understood there's no going back to being morally pure once he had given in uh, to the lust of the flesh, to his, uh, to uh, like Eve, uh, uh, you know, the comparison would have been Eve taking the fruit there. Let me ask you this as we get started this morning. What choices have you given power to in your life recently? I think of this week. All made choices. Did you give in? Did you stand strong? Did you seek wisdom from God to, to whom that decision uh, should have been made towards? Did you ask him for wisdom? God says he will liberally uh, give us wisdom uh, as we seek him and ask him for that. In our passage this morning, we see Satan coming uh, to tempt Eve, uh, the first family of the world, Adam and Eve, and, and uh, their decisions, right or wrong, would be life-changing and they would be permanent. And the decision that they made during this uh, 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 dispute here, during this battle in the Garden of Eden, their decisions would affect all of the future of mankind. God had just created the world, and he said in his word that it was good. The earth, his creation was good. And the Bible says that Satan had entered the serpent as he was uh, now cast down uh, from heaven. And uh, Satan was cast down from heaven, Lucifer was, because he tried to be like the Most High God in his pride. And then again, now he tempts, he comes in the garden and he tempts Eve with the same principle of pride. And you shall be like God if you eat that fruit. That's why God doesn't want you to have that fruit well we know that she gave in and 
And uh, now uh, we uh, come to where the serpent approaches Eve. She took the fruit. Uh, serpent, Satan, cast doubt on God's word. She, she eats it. And uh, now the world will never be the same. Now, the relationship between animals and man was quite different uh, back then in the Garden of Eden, before the fall particularly. The serpent at this time had legs, is my understanding. Uh, the serpent, the Bible describes him as a very subtle creature. And so you have the serpent with legs. I, I think of this like big centipede-looking uh, reptile type of a creature coming and and there's no harm in and of that. Eve doesn't think anything uh, uh, bad at, at what's going on, I don't believe. Um, but the Bible says the snake was very subtle, very beautiful. And uh, he tempts Eve. She eats, and she falls into sin. She gives it to her husband. The husband is the one that is, is uh, given the responsibility by God that, uh, that uh, it's because of him that the world is now uh, we, ha we have a sin nature. This morning from this passage, I'd like to take a look and, and notice uh, some facts about the great power of a choice. Number one, number one, I had a cool looking slide that, uh, you don't have to do it now, Bobby, but um, don't worry about it. I, I had a cool slide that had the title and the reference of the passage. I don't have a bunch of slides for the whole outline, but, but anyway. So you guys think that I didn't uh, do a little extra work in, like normal, okay? But anyway, number one, I want you to understand this. We see the reasoning behind a wrong choice. The reasoning behind a wrong choice. Look at verse number one. Verse number one of our passage, we see that Satan questions the word of God. Satan questions the word of God. Verse number one in our passage, Genesis 3. Look at it, Randall. Grab your Bible, buddy. You got this. I know you probably already know this because you're sharp as a tack in our class. But the Bible says this, And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And so we see that Satan tries to come in as a friend and, and encourage Eve to ascribe to her pride and ascend to the place of God to be like a God, little g-o-d-s. And, and uh, he tries to get her to, to give in to that temptation, to give in to that. It was very beautiful, the Bible says, that piece of fruit. He says, did God really say that you die? Is that what he really said? That's not true. The real reason is that God knows that you'll be like him. Why did Satan get cast down trying to be like the most high God as well? And every day, I want to say this morning, every day, Satan wants you to question God's word. Uh, but let me remind you that the word of God is the only constant that you have on this planet. Do you understand that? Do we understand that? God's, God never changes, yes, but, uh, but God's word is on this planet. It's, it's God's basic instructions before leaving earth. God has given us his word, and this is the only thing that, that never changed, that we can constantly look to uh, down here and uh, look for guidance. Yea, hath God said, and then, uh, you know, we've got, it, we've, we've got it good today. If uh, Satan comes and questions us, and which he often does, uh, you'll make decisions Possibly today. You'll make decisions uh, throughout this week where Satan's going to come, not in the form of a serpent necessarily, uh, but you're going to be tempted with uh, something that looks beautiful. You're going to be tempted. I'm going to be tempted with something that, that uh, looks attractive uh, for my pride and my stature. And I'm going to be tempted by Satan that way, but I've got it good because I can go to God's word and I can see what's right, what's wrong, what's proper, what's improper. Eve had the spoken word of God. She didn't have the written word of God here that she could go and make reference to. And, uh, and so, and so uh, Satan got cast down because of his pride. And uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 13, listen to this. It's a description of Satan and his uh, demonic forces that are against us. The Bible says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel, 
For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And so in this case here, in this passage, we see the false minister is in the form of a serpent, and a Satan deceives the people of God. In verses number 4 and 5, the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Listen, folks, there's a real devil, and there's a real hell, according to God's word, I have the authority that I say that. And uh, the devil wants you in hell with him. If you've been saved, you're not going there. Uh, but if you've been saved, God wants to mar, uh, the devil wants to mar uh, your testimony. He doesn't want you to amount to anything uh, for the cause of Christ. And uh, uh, the devil uh, the, who wants to deceive the people of God does a good job of doing it. When God says today is the day of salvation, the devil says, no, not now. Uh, wait uh, until you've sown your wild oats. There's another day. It's inconvenience for you to get saved uh, today. Why don't you just put it off a little bit longer? Uh, God says today is the day of salvation. When God says, get baptized and identify with me, identify with my church, identify, show me that you love me by keeping my commandments. The devil says, oh, you don't have to do that. It's not a part of salvation. Getting baptized isn't a big deal. But getting baptized after salvation is how we show God we love him by one of the ways by keeping his commands. Another way the devil tries to, to tempt us is, is uh, um, let's see here, in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety and all of Satan's apples have worms. All of his good times end in heartbreak. The devil gives us the best first, the most attractive first, but the repercussions are yet to come. That's how the devil works, folks. And some of you can testify, proof positive, that's how he's deceived you in the past. That's how I've been uh, deceived. Man, it's attractive. That's a beautiful piece of fruit. It looks good. It looks tempting and tantalizing there. And so I take it, but God said, don't do it. He gives the best first, but the worst is yet to come. I think of drunkenness. Drunkenness may be fun for a time, but it ends in poverty and often heartbreak and destruction. I think of a little fling of adultery. And it might, be, it might be fun and exciting at first, but the worst is yet to come. Could end up in disease and, and heartbreak. I think of Magic Johnson. We're talking about, uh, you know, the uh, Magic Johnson was, was a, was, uh, did some wicked things, and he suffered the consequences of his actions because of those uh, wicked things that he did. But with Jesus, with Jesus... The best is yet to come. In every situation, as we follow God, we can bank on those two principles. We can bank that with the devil. He gives his best first, but the worst is yet to come. But with God, but with Jesus, the best is yet to come. I think of, you know, as uh, we live on this earth, maybe, uh, maybe an average uh, lifespan of about 80 years. That's the average lifespan, uh, I think, currently, maybe 80, 85 or so. You know, things can be tough. When, when we get, even when we get saved, everything is not just cake and candy and, and smooth sailing through life. No, we have difficulties. We have troubles. But God wants us, yes, he wants, to live, uh, uh, he wants us to live a victorious Christian life. The only way that we can do that is by yielding to him and, and following him. But, man, life can be tough. I've been discouraged. I've been depressed. But as a Christian, I always have heaven that I can look forward to. Man, these 80 years that I can live here, hopefully I live longer. I want to live longer. I want to see my grandkids growing up and, and uh, play with them. And, and uh, I'm selfishly praying that I can be around my boys. When they get older, we can serve the Lord together somehow. And I need to, I, need to, I believe I've given them to the Lord, uh, but that just seems like spectacular spectacular dream uh, that could uh, come true in some capacity. We don't have to, 
anyway, I'm getting off on the sidetrack here. But, but uh, all that to say life can be tough. But the principle of God's word says the best is yet to come. I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to be with God for all of eternity, provided I've been saved. And so these, this short little amount of time of 80-some of years while I'm here is, is nothing compared to all of eternity that I'll spend with God. So we see the, we see the, the result, uh, the reasoning behind a, a wrong decision. Satan questioned the word of God, and then uh, she gave in to her flesh. She gave in to uh, the temptation. And um, um, let's see here. Satan will try to deceive in many ways. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, Satan is referred to as the old dragon. And the Bible says, literally says that he deceives the world. Every day, Satan wants to deceive the world. Let me ask you the, a question this morning. Have you been deceived by Satan as of late? What is it that Satan has gotten you to question uh, and doubt regarding God's word? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, uh, but is of the world. In their pride and doubting uh, of God's word uh, and uh, putting a question mark uh, where God had put a period in his word, the woman and her husband both partake of the fruit in verse number 6. And then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof. She did eat it and she looked and, and desired and gave in to her flesh and the temptation and the questioning and doubting of God's word. In their pride and doubting, they gave in to the devil. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, a familiar passage, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Much blame has been made on Adam's lack of leadership or Eve's lack of spiritual discernment. And I believe those principles are there. But, but listen, they doubted and they questioned God's clear word. Eve doubted and questioned God's word. She took it and she ate it. She gave to her husband. And as a result, mankind now is all born into sin. You see, we are sinners because of that poor choice that was made in the Garden of Eden. And it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, but it gets better here, and we're going to see uh, the hope that we have. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, verse 21, you know, there's, there's a great responsibility of leadership that most Christians don't, uh, don't acknowledge and don't want to accept. Romans chapter 14, verse 21, the Bible says, It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. As a Christian, I've got a responsibility. Yes, I have liberty in Christ, but I've got a responsibility to be my brother's keeper. I've got a responsibility to consider uh, how I may cause somebody else to stumble in my choices and in my decision-making process. You know, our current choices can have a powerful effect on others for a very long time. I heard of a, 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 about another woman's choice that affected her husband uh, very seriously. And a woman and her husband, they were interrupted on their vacation uh, to, go, to have to go to the dentist. The woman uh, told the dentist, she said, I want a tooth pulled and I don't want any Novocaine because I'm in a big hurry. And the dentist was quite impressed with her pain tolerance. And he said, uh, you certainly are a courageous woman. Uh, which tooth is it? And the woman turned to her husband and said, show me your tooth, dear. And so we see how a, our personal choices can greatly affect others. And this choice that was made in the Garden of Eden has affected us to this day. And so number one, we see the reasoning behind a wrong choice or part of the reasoning behind a wrong choice. But I want you to notice secondly with me, we see the result of a wrong decision, the result of a wrong choice. Look at verse number 14, verse number 14 of uh, chapter three, our passage here. The result of a wrong choice. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle 
and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Just reading, reading that passage is one of the reasons I don't like snakes. Okay? I grew up in the high desert, Southern California, and then also Hawaii. In Hawaii, there are no snakes, praise the Lord. Um, but in Southern California, I grew up there. We would go snake hunting. Okay, I didn't start off this way. I grew up having snakes as pets, and uh, king snakes were are awesome snakes that kill poisonous snakes. And I've had those as pets, and I've even had poisonous snakes. I didn't call them pets, but I had them captive. And I've even eaten rattlesnake before. We found a big rattlesnake, skinned that thing, and and uh, every, well, my peers thought it was. Some of my peers thought it was cool. My mom thought it was interesting. Uh, but we ate it. We, we big rattlesnake, we ate that thing. But, but after reading uh, the uh, dissension here between uh, serpent and man, I don't like snakes anymore. Brother Todd, some of you maybe follow him, and he's always showing pictures of his, his uh, I think it's an albino boa. It's a white, like, uh, it, it looks kind of cool. But, but he's always showing videos of his snake feeding. I'm like, man. Stop playing with the serpent, okay? Get rid of that dumb thing. Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't like snakes now as a result of this. It's just, I don't know, it's just, if you have one, more power to you there. I don't like it. Don't try to get me to like snakes anymore. Uh, but anyway, so as a result of the curse, as a result of the wrong decision, this is the curse that God put upon Satan, upon the serpent. And I believe at the time, uh, I mentioned at the beginning where uh, the serpent had legs. Uh, now the Bible says that uh, I don't believe, I believe that curse uh, took those legs off. And now we have the slithering snakes uh, that we have today. He says in verse number 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse number 16, the result of a bad choice. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Uh, what that word sorrow means is this. It means labor pain. It means hardship and toil. He says, and, uh, and thy conception in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. We see an umbrella of authority that God established here. As a result of the fall, men are supposed to care uh, for uh, the ladies and uh, protect them and uh, uh, keep them uh, as we do that under the Lord's supervision. In verse number 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art and unto dust shalt thou return. And so we see uh, the result of a wrong uh, decision. Result of a wrong choice. We see the immediate result of the curse. What's the immediate? We just read it here. But to Satan, he said this, the serpent particularly was cursed above all animals. He cast him to the ground and I believe took the legs off uh, so that it would have to slither and, and move the way it does to this day. It would eat the dust of the earth, go through the dust. If you've seen a snake in the desert, that makes sense. Number two, for the woman, there would be pain in labor and childbearing. And the roles were established as the woman, uh, as the weaker vessel, not weaker, uh, that, uh, not uh, weaker in an inferior way that, uh, that uh, uh, mentally, uh, spiritually, but physically. Um, we, we, we have that here. And uh, for the man and the woman, the Bible says in verse number, well, the Bible said that uh, thorns and thistles as they worked the ground by the sweat of their brow uh, to provide for the family. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. 
And so I don't believe that work in and of itself is the curse. I believe that uh, the sweat of the brow is what would take place as we uh, did that work. And so we see the immediate results of the curse, but secondly, notice with me, the long-range results of the curse. As a result now, all of the human race would be born into sin. The Bible says this in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As the head of the human race, the result of Adam's sin, it was far-reaching. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In the 1950s, there was an experiment done. There was a uh, hypothesis made uh, that uh, uh, these two scientists, Stanton Same now, and uh, psychiatrist Samuel Yokelson, they, they hypothesize that crime is caused by the environment. In other words, people do wrong things because of their associations. People do wrong things because of their socioeconomical lifestyles, how they grow up, how they're raised in the environment. Are they rich? Are they poor? And I think some of, some of that has, can, uh, can affect the way people behave. But as they did this study, they... they uh, they discovered contrary uh, to their hypothesis. They began a 17-year study involving thousands of hours of clinical testing of 250 in inmates in the District of Columbia. And to their astonishment, they discovered that the cause of crime could not be traced to the environment, to poverty, or oppression. Instead, crime is the result of individuals making, as they put it, Wrong moral choices. Poor choices contrary to the word of God. That's what a wrong moral choice is. Do we, do we realize that? And uh, so, um, we see here uh, this morning the reasoning behind wrong choices. We see the results of a wrong choice, but lastly and most excitingly, and most hopefully, notice this here, we see the restoration after a wrong choice. The restoration after a wrong choice. I want you to know that if you're here this morning and you've, you've done something so shameful, so awful, so terrible, that uh, this is a place where you can find hope. Not because of uh, the, the, the people necessarily, not because of the beautiful buildings, but because we desire uh, to uh, receive you and love you like God does. I've done some foolish, ridiculously stupid things in life. God's forgiven me. And I've, 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 I've had gracious Christians who understand the principle of restoration and uh, realizing that, uh, that with God all things are possible, that with God he's got a purpose and a plan uh, for my life, and, and uh, he's, he, he loves me so much. And, and how many times should we forgive our, our brethren, our brothers? Seven times? Oh, 70. Jesus says 70 times seven. Is that right? And I don't, wanna, I don't know what that, what that answer is, but it's a lot. And I think the principle is even more than that, okay? The principle is there is forgiveness with God. There is restoration with God. But don't leave out the with God. The restoration after a wrong decision, number one, it required a person. It required a person. And so the first bad choice that uh, was made uh, by man was caused by that first Adam. Now we read and we saw that at Eve took the fruit, right? She was the one, right? Well, she gave it to her husband. God holds Adam responsible for that bad decision, for that poor decision. And that decision was made in the Garden of Eden by the first Adam. Restoration after that wrong choice was made by God with the second Adam, 
Jesus Christ. Now that's a biblical, that's some biblical terminology there. But uh, Jesus is looked to as the second Adam. Okay, does that make sense? Whether it makes sense or not, that's that's a that's a, a fact. We sing, I think, in, uh, in one of our Christmas hymns, "Joy to the World." Um, we sing about the second Adam that's come, and the sin came from the first Adam. Forgiveness of sin came from the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Restoration, restoration after that wrong choice was made by God uh, with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Uh, we see in the Bible the second Adam would be in the form, uh, uh, would be from the seed of a woman. And uh, typically, um, Typically, uh, the seed of a human comes from the man, but in this case, it couldn't be uh, from the man because if it had it been from another man, sin would have been passed on. And so Jesus was born of a virgin, and the uh, Holy Spirit uh, allowed the child to be born uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Eve, uh, I'm sorry, of, uh, of Mary. And so the restoration, it required a person. But Christ, Christ was perfect. Christ is perfect. And he could not be born uh, from the seed of a man or else he would have uh, passed on that sin uh, that we inherited. And so from, from Adam and Eve. But what woman would that seed come from? The Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to wrap it up right here. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. So we see the, uh, the reasoning behind a wrong decision. And... Uh, one of the primary reasons that we make wrong decisions is because we don't take heed to the word of God. We disobey the word of God. We're tempted in the, uh, in the, of the flesh and uh, we give in. Uh, we make fleshly choices. But then we see the result of a wrong decision, particularly the wrong decision that was made in the Garden of Eden. But let me ask you this. Did God know that that was going to happen in the Garden of Eden? Absolutely. God is omniscient. He's omnowing. He knew exactly that that was going to happen. It was part of his perfect plan. Uh, God didn't make them sin, but it was all in his providence and perfect plan that, that, it, that, it, uh, that, it, uh, that it was allowed to happen. And then uh, God here is uh, showing us the restoration after a wrong decision. It required a person. It required a person, particularly Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, look with me here. In verse number 14, the Bible says this, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude, uh, similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the, is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was uh, by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. When you receive Jesus Christ, you become justified, just as if I'd never sinned. I don't know why I did my fingers there, but um, um, we become justified. Verse number 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So we see the restoration, it required a person. The restoration, number two, it required a payment. Look at verse number 18 of Romans 5. Turn there. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men, that is Adam, because of Adam, 
that sin in the Garden of Eden, we're all condemned. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve to go to a place called hell in the Bible. But God doesn't want us to go there. And so uh, in his love and in his care and in his, uh, in his compassion, he sent his son, the person, to make this payment. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Let me ask you this question this morning. Most important question you could ever answer, hopefully to the affirmative. And if you can't answer to the affirmative, today's the day to get it settled. Have you received the payment, Jesus Christ, the person, Jesus Christ, and his payment, the blood of Christ that was shed for your sins? Have you received Jesus to your account? If not, today can be the day that you do so. And so, have you received the payment that Christ made uh, for your sins? Here's an example of how it works, an illustration, actually. In 1943, the transporter, the Dorchester, it sank in the North Atlantic after being torpedoed by a German submarine. In an unforgettable display of sacrifice, there were four chaplains, four saved chaplains. What I mean by that? They'd received Christ as their Savior. They knew that they were going to go to heaven when they perished. And so these four chaplains, they removed their life vests, and they gave them to four other enlisted men. The chaplains, they sank with the ship, with their arms on each other uh, for support and praying, uh, and they knew Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now listen, while four others lived in their place... What that is, that's a picture there. Jesus died. He's the life vest so that we don't have to. Have you received that life vest? Now, now the difference is this. Those, those people that, uh, those four enlisted men that were saved by the life vest, okay? They were saved. Hopefully, they received Christ as Savior after that. But that's the picture of what Jesus does for us, what Jesus has done for us. He died on the cross in our stead so that we don't have to. But there needs to be a time in everybody's life when we personally receive that free gift to our accounts. For me, that was February 27th, 1986. I got born again. I got born into God's family. I acknowledged my need uh, for a Savior. I acknowledged my, my sin condition, and I received Jesus as my personal Savior. I asked him to save me. And with that, the Bible says, for as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now I'm a child of God. Because of that day, having received Christ, I'm a child of God, and I praise the Lord for that. Not because I did anything good, but because Jesus did the good thing, and I received his gift. Turn to 1 Peter, and we're finished, I promise, this time. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The greatest choice we can ever make is the choice to accept the Lord as our personal Savior. In 1 Peter 3.18, the Bible tells us this. He says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Now, who is the just? Jesus. Who is the unjust? Everyone else. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That word quickened there means to give life to. We are quickened by the Spirit of God when we get saved. We now have spiritual life. The greatest choice we can ever make is to receive the Lord as our personal Savior. Now listen, the second greatest choice is to be fully yielded to what God wants us to do on a daily basis. Now that takes deliberation. That takes work, that takes effort, that takes yielding our choices every single day. You know, when you're presented with a, cho uh, with a choice, when we're presented with a choice and we don't make it, that in and of itself is a choice. May I encourage you this morning, in closing, to choose wisely. 
Let's make wise choices according to God's word. Let's all bow. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, we come to our portion of the service where we have what we call our invitation time. And it's an opportunity to respond to God's word as as a Holy Spirit has spoken to you, perhaps, and uh, to make a decision for him. It's, a, it's an opportunity to choose, if you will, uh, to choose. How will you respond to the, uh, the, the preaching of, your, uh, of God's word? How will you respond to the, to the choices that have been presented uh, this morning? With heads bowed and eyes closed, let's all stand. Let's all stand. And the piano will play. And as the piano plays, don't delay. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you want to, if you need to, come to this. We call this the altar up here. And it's an opportunity to respond to the Lord, to call out to him. Why don't you pray, God, help me to be strong. God, help me to resist the devil. God, would you give me wisdom in making choices the rest of the day? Help me to be resolved to make wise choices in the morning as I start the day for you. Most importantly this morning, can I ask you this? I don't want to embarrass anybody for the world, and that's not the intention here. But the, the most important decision we could ever make was already been established, whether or not you will choose Jesus as your personal Savior or not. He is the way to heaven. Jesus is the bridge that gets us to heaven. He's the door that allows us into eternal life. His blood is the payment that was made that needs to be received uh, for, the shed, for, the, for the remission of sins. It's, it's not by baptism. Getting to heaven is not by a certain religion or church or praise the Lord, not for a certain amount of money because I'd be out. <laughs> but it is through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many here this morning would say, uh, as a testimony to the Lord, I have received Jesus as my personal Savior. I do know that when I die, I'm going to heaven because I've received him. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony to God? Say, I've received Christ as my Savior. You may put your hands down. Many hands raised, many hands raised, but I don't think every hand was raised. And, and uh, appreciate the honesty. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Sam, I'm... I'm not certain that if I died that I'd go to heaven. I, I sure wish I, I had that confidence. The Bible says we can be sure. We can have that confidence from his word. These things have I written unto you, 1 John 5, 13, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want you to hope or you know wish upon a lucky star. God says you can know you're going to heaven someday. And that's if you've received Christ. If you're here this morning and you'd like prayer concerning that, concerning knowing, you'd like to know, let me pray for you this morning. Would you indicate by raising your hand? Pastor Sam, would you pray for me that I could know that I'm going to heaven? Pray for me that I'd get it settled, that I could know. Slip your hand up right now that I may pray for you. Anybody at all? All right. As the piano continues, there's opportunity to, uh, to respond uh, still yet.